Oh, you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. And hey, how you guys doing out there in stock, podcast, COVID-19 land? Yes, we're still in this, aren't we? But it sure seems like, again, based on if you just look at the stock market alone in the past week or so, wow, we've got, we've at least gained quite a bit back that we've lost. And now while certainly the last three episodes I've done on COVID-19, have I gotten everything right? Well, certainly not, but who can perfectly predict the future? But I got to say my initial scoffing at the millions of people dead, well, well, that's looking pretty good, isn't it? I think that was a, a good instinct on my part that in fact, people can adjust and that yes, <laughs> we'll figure this thing out. That, that was my initial response. And also, quite honestly, if you followed my advice the whole way, if you just didn't panic out of your positions, if you slowly but surely picked away at classic American companies that most importantly have good balance sheets, plenty of cash on hand to weather the storm, enough savings, if you will, well, you've probably done pretty well. And certainly if you've held on to gold stocks, any type of real precious metals, as I've often advised, Well, those have done fabulously well, too. Gold stocks, the gold ETF, the GLD, which I own, had a really nice run here. Now, just to be clear, am I saying all is clear, all is well, everything's fine now at this point? No, I'm not. And quite honestly, this week I've taken some profits on my positions in Clorox, which, well, that's obvious why Clorox has been in a bull market lately. Starting to think that's not going to last forever, especially with the improving COVID-19 picture, but also took some profits on Colgate Palmolive, too, another, well, consumer staple company, type of company that tends to perform well in a recession environment. Those have moved up rather sharply, rather quickly, so, you know, I've taken probably at least half those off the table in terms of profits. And you know what? One thing I focused on previously, too, is while I have my instincts about the disease, about coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, I did humble myself and make sure that I talk to people that I know in the medical field, including my wife, Melissa, who is a nurse. And well, what's her life been like lately? You know, actually, her life is really, really slow. Like the hospital is really slow right now. That's what she tells me. Now, she works in the operating room, but also on the side, she's been taking temperatures for people based on the whole corona thing, you know, just to get her hours up, basically, because there aren't enough surgeries that she can fill out her full-time, full hours. So she's been picking up those side gigs, giving people temperatures, that kind of thing. And all I'm telling you is she's telling me the hospital is dead. It is not overwhelmed whatsoever. So... To me, that's a positive sign, and pretty much all the medical people I talk to are acting like we're going to get through this. But honestly, beyond that, that's that's about the last word I'm going to have on the coronavirus on this episode, and hopefully for a while, because I want to get into something else today that, well, is tangentially related to corona, I suppose. And it's really, it's about, quote, buying cheap stuff from China. Now, I hear a lot of people decrying China lately. 
Now, first of all, let's let's make a distinction, a very clear distinction between Chinese people, individuals who happen to live in China, and the Chinese government. Now, I don't have any qualms with Chinese people whatsoever, personally. In fact, I don't have any problems with any group of people whatsoever. In fact, a couple years ago, I went to a wedding of a Chinese lady and You know, she's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. She's highly intelligent, an excellent English speaker for English as her second language. Remarkable. And and by the way, I found her mother, who I met at the wedding, to be just a a total delight. Really, all the people at the wedding were completely delightful, including including Whitey, too. But, you know, I'm just focusing on, on the Chinese half of the wedding here, but... But on the other hand, you've got the Chinese government, and yeah, those are truly, truly terrible people with way too much power. That's the big problem. So just to be clear here, if you're distrustful of the Chinese government, well, not only am I right there with you, I'm probably way beyond you in terms of not trusting anything that comes out of the Chinese government. But of course, now is the time where I would remind you of what I'm really all about politically, and that is the zero aggression principle. So obviously, the Chinese government, when there are journalists, for instance, any any person that criticizes them is basically subject to being thrown into a gulag for all intents and purposes, or perhaps killed. I don't know. I just know that there's a lot of example of people who speak out against China, quote-unquote, as people call it, the Chinese government, Beijing, if you will, these people tend to disappear. And yes, that is an act of severe political aggression when simple free speech is not even tolerated by a government. And of course, the Chinese government, one of the things it involves itself with is currency manipulation. Essentially, it it inflates its own currency, stealing money from its own citizens, from their savings, in order to be able to pay for everything that the Chinese government would like to pay for. Well, I regard this as a clear act of aggression upon Chinese citizens, or frankly, any government upon its citizens that inflates its own currency. I regard that as an act of aggression. That is stealing. That is, at at the very least, is a hidden tax that is not voted upon. It's taxation without representation, at best. And while this is a clear act of political aggression, again, it's the Chinese government inflicting aggression upon its own people. You see, that's where American politicians and many American voters get confused. See, they see the act of aggression on the United States as basically selling... Americans' cheap goods. And here's the thing with that. People say, well, gosh darn it. Like, for instance, with steel. Well, Chinese, are they're accused of dumping steel at really low prices. And that has an effect, of course, in America and other places, of undercutting steel manufacturers domestically. So people who make steel in America can no longer stay in business because they can't compete with cheap Chinese steel. But you see, the problem is, is people, when they think about the trade war, if you will, the trade dynamic 
between the Chinese government, the, Ch- the U.S. government. You see, they think way too big about it because they think about it in terms of political relationships and those type of dynamics. But then at the same time, they don't think big enough. And here's what I mean by that. Let's just think about who is the aggressor in these scenarios. Now, clearly we've decided, at least I've decided, and I hope you agree with me, that when the Chinese government inflates its currency, it then steals from its citizens. That is an act of aggression. It is a hidden tax at best. But what about when the United States imposes tariffs on the Chinese people? Isn't that also an act of aggression? Because clearly it's not the Chinese government. It's not Xi Jinping who is going to be paying the heaviest toll of these tariffs. No, it's going to be the regular Chinese person himself. So if there happens to be a Chinese person who lives in China that would like to make a trade with me, whatever that trade might be, I want to sell him a hat or something, or he wants to sell me a hat, regardless of which way that trade goes. Anybody who steps in the middle of that peaceful moral transaction, whether it's a rogue third-party actor, an individual, or it's the United States government or the Chinese government, clearly either of those scenarios would be an act of aggression as well. So how do we solve these trade dynamics, because there are problems here. I do recognize the problem of the fact that Americans seem to manufacture less and less stuff. They seem to be able to do less and less of the old-style manufacturing that we used to dominate in. But far too often, the problem is considered to be, especially on you listen to right-wing talk radio, that type of thing, they talk about Well, how can the U.S. compete with slave labor in China? Now, notice the implication here is a couple things. First of all, with slave labor, it's obvious that they're saying that, well, gosh, how do you compete with slave labor? Lower prices are always going to win in the end. Except here's the problem. We should all know by now that slave labor is not only immoral. That's obvious. We all agree with that. But apparently not everyone agrees that slave labor is unproductive. Well, I promise you slave labor is unproductive. At least when compared to free labor. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not criticizing the slaves. I'm saying that the slave himself would be more productive. The actual individual who is enslaved would be more productive if he were free. Doing that same job. But of course, if the slave were truly not a slave, if this man were truly free, well, he wouldn't be forced to do the job that you want him to do. So not only would he be more productive at the job you want him to do if you actually paid him a wage, well, much more to the point, well, you'd actually get somebody who wanted to do that job. See, the person that you enslaved more than likely didn't want to be a farmer or a laborer or whatever you enslave them for. In fact, in a free society, in a society with abundant wealth that can create podcasts, for instance, perhaps you'd be better at that. Or perhaps you'd be better at plumbing or electricianship or 
HVAC, whatever it might be. The point is when people are free to decide what they want to do, doesn't mean you always get to do the job of your dreams, but again, no aggression. You get to decide what you want to do. Guess what happens? Productivity skyrockets. So this idea that America can't compete with China because they have slave labor is absurd. And not only that, people like to act like, well, they're very command and control over in China and we're just wide open and free and laissez-faire in the United States. Well, I'm afraid that's not true at all. And you've got to think about it. If you're just thinking about this in terms of costs, well, let's talk about costs for a second. What would cause an American company that is profitable in America to freely choose to go to China? Is it because they're just that greedy? They want that little bit more profit? Well, maybe on some level. But I would imagine if you were still profitable in America, you'd still hang around. Because obviously, again, there's the massive, massive political risk of having any type of business or wealth in China. That's a huge cost in itself. Then there's the obvious geography of moving your operations to the other side of the globe. You don't think that's a massive cost imposed in itself? And the idea of training people over there, moving people, moving all kinds of stuff, knowledge, capital, whatever it might be, what would cause somebody to make this decision? Well, apparently in America, we have plenty of political aggression as well in the forms of taxes, in the forms of regulation, and various types of other political aggressions. My point is, before America, before, the, before D.C., the United States government starts focusing on how can we politically aggress upon China, quote-unquote, to get even with them, when in reality you're only going to get even, quote-unquote, with the lowest people on the rung in China. Well, before we do that, before we enter even new forms of aggression, perhaps we should lower the aggression that we have in the United States. Perhaps we should lower barriers to entry for business that are arbitrary, that are cumbersome, that don't actually help the consumer or public health. Because believe me, these things are numerous. This isn't just propaganda. Otherwise, again, why would anybody in America go to China? Why would they move operations to China? Why would Apple decide, yeah, we want to have all of we want to manufacture our phones in China? It's not it can't just be because there are a bunch of poor people there who are willing to put phones together for cheap. That can't be it. It has to be that manufacturing iPhones in America is absurdly expensive for reasons that are beyond the free market. If you think I'm wrong, hey, fine, great. I'd love to hear from you anywhere on social media at Everybody Trades. But you know what? I'm going to get out of here on this good Friday. So until next time, I am John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades. Everybody Trades.